Welcome back to J-O-Y, friends. This is the Reverend Mary Vano, and I'm glad you're here with us for this podcast from St. Margaret's Episcopal Church in Little Rock, Arkansas, where our conversations about life and faith always include Jesus, others, and you. Today, I have two guests, and our plan is to talk about the LGBTQ soul. Here in Arkansas and in other states, we're seeing more legislation that seems to be aimed especially against those who are transgendered. 19th century English essayist William Hazlitt wrote that prejudice is the child of ignorance. In our conversation today, we hope we will banish a little bit of our ignorance and our guests will help us to get to know their perspectives as LGBTQ persons. And my hope is that it will be informative and freeing, especially for those of us who are not LGBTQ. Let's begin by getting to know our guests. Aaron, tell us about yourself. Hi, I'm Erin. I'm just your smart, compassionate, and loving girl who did not start her life out like that. This journey has had its ups and downs. One up has been living authentically. I am my true self, truth on display, still discovering different parts of what makes me me. One down has been dealing with both the nonsense of the transgender umbrella and strong conservative base here in Arkansas with their lack of listening. I want what other girls want. I am so saddened that society has not privileged me with that. I am so confused on why I am so hated while shaking my head on how the transgender views my own identity. And that's a little bit about myself. Well, thank you for sharing that. Jamie, how about you? Well, hi, I am Jamie. I'm from Arkansas all my life, and I am a lesbian. My pronouns are most of the time she, her, but I also will use they, them. I'm married to a wonderful woman, and we share four children, two of whom also identify within the LGBTQ plus community. I was born and raised in a small town not far from here, mostly white town, the daughter of a Baptist preacher and the granddaughter on both sides of a Baptist preacher. I say I came out in my mid-20s. When it comes to my family, I was essentially busted out by a member of my family. After that, I was shunned for some years and didn't have any relationship with them. I do now, but that's essentially who I am. Thank you again for sharing that. I heard both of you use strong words that are true, I think, to your experience. Aaron, you said you feel like you're hated. Yes. Amy, for a time, you at least you have felt shunned. And I love both of you. (laughs) I know both of you because we're part of the same church community. And I'm fortunate, I feel like, because I know how wonderful you both are. I see how you are both committed Christians who attend worship regularly and serve actively in the community. And I'd love to hear about those faith journeys because I know they haven't been easy. Becoming yourself and becoming yourself before God is not an easy journey for anybody. But I'd like to know how you got to be where you are. Jamie, tell us about your story of faith. My dad pastored several churches during the years I was growing up. There was one that he did pastor most of the time from when I was in sixth grade till I graduated high school. Both of my grandfathers were Baptist preachers. A great-grandfather on my mother's side was also a Baptist preacher. My mom, more often than not, was the church pianist. Country churches, you had church piano. I'm the oldest of three girls. My sisters and I were usually dressed up with cute little pigtails, and we sang in the church. 
And as I got older, my family sang Southern Gospel Quartet music, and we would be invited to a lot of the church homecomings in the summertime, usually had family members there, and we would sing. Those memories are good. Church potlucks, Southern Gospel Quartet music, those are things that are fond memories for me. I can also remember having to wear a dress every time I went to church and never being comfortable. I can also remember all of the preaching what we call it, hellfire and brimstone preaching, all about where are you going to go when you die? If you're not saved, you're going to go to hell. If you don't act this way, you're going to go to hell. You can't go here. You can't go there. You can't dance. You can't buy raffle tickets. I can remember as a child not being scared of monsters in my closet or monsters under my bed. I can remember being scared that the rapture was going to happen and I was going to be left behind. My parents were always talking about if you were going to go to heaven, don't you want to go to heaven? You need to be saved so you can go to heaven. When I was nine years old, I walked the aisle of the church to be saved, to be baptized. I really didn't have any idea what I was doing, but I didn't want to be scared of not going to heaven and not being where my family was. And I didn't want to disappoint my parents. After high school, I went to a Baptist college, pursued a degree in music, played for several churches in the area. But my exposure outside of the Baptist faith was still limited to just an occasional Methodist or Presbyterian service. It was a few years after college that I began to really come to grips with my sexuality. In fact, when I went to college, I didn't even know what homosexual was. I didn't know there was such a thing. Once I was convinced that I could never go to church again, and for several years I did not. My own mother, when she found out I am a lesbian, told me I'm going to hell. So I figured if I was going to be true to myself, I guess that was the price I was going to have to pay. I was 30 years old when I came up on a fictional book series about a small town priest an Episcopal priest who practiced an everyday spirituality of just loving everyone. This piqued my interest. And so those who know me know I love to research. I researched and learned about the Episcopal Church. And in my research, I learned about Bishop Robinson, the first openly gay bishop. I learned that the Episcopal Church accepted everyone and that the theology of the Episcopal Church was to respect the dignity of every human being that all are welcome. No one is turned away. I met with a priest at Trinity Cathedral in downtown Little Rock at the time. He's retired now. And he affirmed what I was reading. This piqued my interest. And the thought that I could be spiritual and be myself, I could still embrace Christianity and be authentically me, was eye-opening. I always had that inner conflict, being true to myself, following God's will for my life, And reconciling these two things, this conflict was healing in a way I couldn't describe. And I've been a part of a church ever since. And I have made it a mission to make sure that others like myself who have been hurt by the church can know that it is possible to be gay and Christian. Not all churches are like most of what we have experienced in the LGBTQ community. I still hear a lot of times people talking horribly about the church because they've been hurt. They have been kicked out of churches. They've been shunned by their families to know that there are places that they can go and can be holy and fully accepted exactly as they are because God doesn't make junk. God doesn't make mistakes. And God created us to be gay. God created us to be transgender. And if they want to talk about, are you living God's will for your life? Well, I wasn't when I wasn't being myself, but I am now. That is kind of the core of my faith. What a story, Jamie. I'm glad you found your way back through open doors that would embrace you and love you for who God has created you to be.
Aaron, I think you came into the church more recently. What has your journey been like? My journey's been a tale of two halves. My biological family of my mom and dad were never into church. I never have committed to any religion for nearly three-fourths of my life. I can count on the number of my fingers the times I stepped into a church before I was 32 years old, even though that my grandmother was traditionally Southern Baptist. We never picked up the church life, even though that my family was designated the family values off that tradition. Due to how my family has treated me, I always thought Christians were full of hate and malice. I just started coming to the Episcopal Church in the past 12 years due to another trans individual who has ended up becoming my mother to me. She has taught me how much God loves me and wants me to love myself with the same steadfast passion that he does. She has convinced me, and I'm thoroughly convinced that God loves me for me. He doesn't want me to be anything other than me. I am just privileged to be a part of a Christian community who values understanding, tolerance, and strength through diverse voices and experiences. I have a lot of doubt on my own Christianity when I hear other Christians that hate and judge me based on who I am because they maybe don't love themselves totally enough to justify their own feelings towards me anyways. There's been times where I've even questioned my own faith because I think God wouldn't want me to judge a Christian who is hating me using the same scripture that we do to our own interpretation. I don't think God would want me to judge that individual out of the Christian community. And I try to go the high road with that. I've been able to serve in a multitude of ministries in the church. I'm a current Eucharistic minister. That's mm -hmm. something I value and I cherish the gift and the privilege of being able to bring God to my community is some of the best spiritually charging moments I have during a week. I always get very uncomfortable when people are telling me I'm doing a good job because I feel like they're not focused on their relationship with God and the preacher. I'm just a vessel bringing God to them. And when they say, Aaron, you're doing a fantastic job doing what you do at the altar, I'm like, thank you, but thank God for that. Don't thank me. And I continue to serve the community the best I can be of not only a voice, but an ear and someone who is not embarrassed to talk about anything. That has been my faith so far. There's still chapters left to read, but mm -hmm. that's so far what I have. That's great. There are still chapters left to read for all of us. And that's part of what we do together in church as we explore our faith and seek God's will for our lives, knowing and trusting that we're all on a journey. It's great that y'all are both a part of the journey in our community. You make things richer for everybody who's a part of it, just like we all do. Every individual brings something of value. So we were prompted to have this conversation because of recent legislative efforts, like the ban on gender-affirming care for trans youth, bathroom bills, and drag show restrictions. Jamie, how about you summarize for us what these efforts are and where they stand, and also tell us your Christian perspective on these political issues. SB 43 was introduced, I think it was on the first day of the legislative mm -hmm. session. It was an attempt to classify drag performances to be adult only, to not be done in front of minors, and to classify locations that held drag shows to be adult-oriented businesses. It also defined drag as anyone dressing in clothing that was not aligned with their sex assigned at birth. 
So this bill was not only against the drag community, but the transgender community at large, including under the trans umbrella, non-binary, gender fluid, and other subparts. Thankfully, after much fighting, and I went to my very own protest for the first time and took two of my children with me, SB 43 has since been rewritten to take out the part addressing drag performances and the definition of drag. This was one positive outcome I have experienced this legislative session, and I didn't really think it would happen. And boy, when it did, it's still a bad bill, but it's, it's better than it was. Next, we have HB 1156, otherwise known as the bathroom bill. It addresses which restrooms transgender youth use at school, as well as which locker rooms they use, who they room with on overnight trips with school. The bill states that they would have to go by their sex assigned at birth. This bill has already passed the House and is about to be on the agenda in the Senate. We need to stop this bill for the safety of these kids. And I don't understand how any other outcome could be seen as Christian. Another bill introduced also was SB 199, and it concerns making it illegal for minors to receive any treatments regarding transitioning. One of my kids is friends with a lot of kids and is involved with a couple of trans youth groups. We're not talking about three or four kids. We're talking about groups of 10, 15, 20 kids that we know who are already transitioning, who are already on puberty blockers and hormones, and watching these kids begin to live their lives happy, and they want to take this away from them seems like nothing short of cruel. It's like they think that kids wake up and go, I think I'm going to change genders today. And that's not how it goes. And not all transgender kids are supported by their parents. If they're lucky enough to have parents who are supportive, are lucky enough to go get the mental health care that they need and have doctors who care about and understand what they're going through, yet the government wants to legislate their bodies. That just seems, from my Christian perspective, wrong. And that last one is very similar to one passed last year, I think, which is now, it's okay, it's the same thing, and it's been blocked by courts. Right. I know the ACLU has already had their argument ready to fight this, should it pass, because it is exactly like the SAFE Act. What I think that people sometimes don't realize is how bills like this affect real people's lives, people who are not doing any harm to anybody else. Erin, can you tell us about how these bills affect you? The drag show bill doesn't affect me unless the society wants to identify me as a drag person or people like me as drag people in roping in with a very big paintbrush taking out the language for identifying what drag is. That was smart on the legislation branch. I do not agree with the view on protecting children as an easy excuse. We've used that so much as a cop-out, protecting children, protecting children. What the heck are they thinking that we're doing other than whatever their minds are fantasizing about? But I do agree that there should be some ratings So parents and adults know what to expect, like with dress, content, and interactions. But movies have ratings, right? Plays and performances have ratings. I think a drag show should have some sort of rating, no matter if it's being performed in front of a child to the adult. 
That drag show bill is toxic, even though I think drag performances need a rating system. But I just don't see the merits and there's not enough empirical evidence out there to justify the bill even being thought about. I am so tired of talking about restroom bills. I like it when they say bathroom instead of restroom because I can't take a bath or a shower in most of these public spaces. So why are they bathrooms or restrooms or there to go pee and do a number two? (laughs) And most of them have segregated stalls. It's easy to use protecting children for this one. I'm under the impression that a person can't just show up one day as their gender identity unless they have followed the protocol. The WPATH and the Harry Benjamin Standards of Care is a blanketed standards of how we transition or how we go about living our lives as our true authentic self. It does encompass highly holistic approaches to interactive approaches to mental health medicine and making sure that when we transition to ourselves, it's not because of a fetish. It's not because of anything other than a psychosis. It's because we are truly ourselves. There's nothing else that can protrude the feeling and muddy the waters when it comes to maybe second guessing it. I'm not going to go through the entire Harry Benjamin Centers of Care. Anybody can go on and research that. It does include uh, living as yourself for one year just to get approved for surgeries and surgical treatments. Here's something that I think that doesn't get talked about. I'm a woman. I happen to be born a man. I don't identify as a trans woman. It is considered a label or it seems to be intertwined with a medical condition. The condition is we're living as ourselves. And the thing that we're trying to do is alleviate that mistake that happened at birth. Like mothers and fathers who do things that cause pregnancies to go awry, like smoking, stress, diet. That can really make it to where that fetus doesn't quite get developed the way they think it's going to be developed. Even intersex people with two gender organs, that happens. Spina bifida happens. Being born without a limb happens. But what do we do with that? Do we just say, hey, you you have to be stuck with that? No. We have an obligation to our youth to allow them to make that decision on their own. And it's up to us to nurture that decision and really make it comfortable for them to live. I think that's protecting children, not trying to make the environment where they can't have choices. Mary, when was the first time you knew you were a woman or your mom knew she was a woman or your dad knew he was a man? I bet it wasn't 18. I bet it was well before that. These restroom bills are garbage, not rooted in any empirical evidence. When do people know they are male and female? Is it societal gender norms or what's between their legs? Is it what society places on us? What's the norms and values of what a true woman should do or a man should do? If we can early on know that answer to why are we restricting children just for the sake that they are not 18. I think we're just making the restrictions because they're not 18, because that's what we consider in an adult decision where they can be 100% accountable for their actions. And I don't think parents who are for this bill are wanting that responsibility on themselves. I'm not going to quote any articles just because people who have written this bill do not care about life's gray area, which education and research help. In any gray area, like determining what's going on, education and research. 
not quoting a Bible passage, not restricting kids' access because that's not what they feel gender norms should be here. Not just saying, hey, it's my way or the highway, no matter what empirical evidence shows otherwise. One of the things that we say in our baptismal covenant, one of the things that we vow before God to do is to respect the dignity of all human beings. I think that part of respecting human dignity is allowing people to be who they are. I suspect that cultural and societal standards of gender norms have been too restrictive for too long. I think it's time for us to open our minds and most especially open our hearts to people as they discover themselves. When it comes to restricting healthcare for trans youth, I'm concerned that we're taking away the opportunity for young people and their parents and their doctors to decide what's best for them. And when it comes to bathroom bills, going back to respecting people's dignity, we need to provide safe, clean, comfortable places for people to use the restroom. That's part of what we need to be doing. The defense of children, the protection of children, I think is played up among our politicians. I'm a mom and I've never once felt threatened for my children or felt like my children were threatened by LGBTQ persons. Jamie, you're a mom. Erin, you're a teacher. What do y'all think about the needs of children and how we need to be protecting them? Jamie, what is your perspective as a mom? lesbian mom. I have a couple of queer kids and I have a couple of kids that are of a different race. And all of this legislation, it makes me feel like our kids have no value. The right wing, cisgender, white, heterosexual, their kids are apparently more valuable than our kids. And when it comes to kids who are transgender, it's like they don't realize the struggle that parents of transgender kids, as well as the kids themselves, what they've been through. It's not like a child wakes up one morning and says they want to be the opposite sex and their parents are like, okay, let's go. By the time a child comes to you and says, I'm not a boy, I'm a girl or vice versa. All of the external struggles that we witness and parents that we become friends with and talk to with their kids, all the struggles they've been through, what has that child already been through internally because Mm -hmm. of our society? Our society expects little boys to play with trucks and wear blue and little girls to wear pink and play with Barbies. The little toddler is like, but that's not what I want to play with. And that's not what I want to wear. That's not who I am. They don't know that their outside doesn't match their inside until they get told you're doing this wrong. And in this bill, they even talk about secondary conditions that could prevent these kids from getting needed care or transitioning as depression and ADHD. That's just two of them. Not only lesbian or gay, bisexual, but we have our struggles enough. But you get to a transgender kid, they will have gone through some depression and anxiety. They're already traumatized by their outsides not matching their insides. And then people want to come along and legislate away their ability for their parents to get them help if their parents are supportive, for the mental health professionals to help them, for the medical community to help them. This is not protecting our kids. This is killing our kids. The suicide rate is higher in LGBTQIA plus children than anywhere else. So when I think about the needs of my kids and protecting them, we need to be able to help them and we need to be able to do whatever we can for them to feel comfortable in their skin.
education system is also failing them and us when a child may come out to us or a counselor there's certain things that they are requesting that we do not do one is make any attempt to sway the child in a direction where they are being coaxed into doing something they, they tell us we can't do certain things because they don't want us to be a part of the nurturing process they want us to just try to bury it as a school community Case in point, I have a trans kid in one of my classes. I cannot, under any circumstance, devour my own identity to comfort that kid when they are scared. They are very sensitive to other students, their peers, either picking on them or laughing about it. I feel handcuffed knowing that I know I can do a better job if I were to not be punished into nurturing this child's emotional and identity state. I'm a teacher. I'm there to help kids become critical thinkers and problem solvers. I'm not there to teach kids to reject possibilities because, hey, they just want to reject the possibility. That's not what educating is. You research, you cite evidence. And based off that research and citing evidence, then you can make your own opinions based off the empirical evidence. And making decisions without empirical evidence to break it up, that is the tippy top of what we cannot go to because that slippery slope of fallacy bills will definitely make America continue slipping down as a respected country when it comes to being on the world stage. These kids, us humans, need to be nurtured mentally and emotionally and with a lot of anxiety and depression taking over. I don't want to be that adult that has to find out that their kid committed suicide because we didn't listen. We didn't nurture a successful suicide attempt was the answer to them. And it happens way too many times. Half of LGBTQ youth and adults commit suicide. That's an empirical researched percentage. And you know, more of us have considered it at some point. Yeah, me. When you feel like you have nowhere to go, when you feel like you have nobody to turn to, when you've been told by the people that brought you into this world that you're not good enough, you're wrong, you're going to go to hell. I mean, what are you going to do? This is protecting our kids. I've had friends of one of my kids call me on the phone to say, my parents, I don't think they're going to accept it, but I really, really want to come out to somebody. Can I come out to you? Absolutely. I feel honored if someone's going to do that. It's a privilege to be a part of that person's start. Well, whenever we bring more compassion into the world, I have to believe we're making a difference. I think we see how a lack of compassion for differences make society oppressive and hurtful, and it is dangerous for a lot of people. I know that this is probably a difficult conversation for some of our listeners because it's a divisive issue around a topic that might be new or uncomfortable for some. What would you hope that listeners understand about LGBTQ plus persons? We are not the oppressive force on human nature. LGBTQ people are people. We are still human beings. We are not the oppressiveness of the human race. People need to know that being poor, being the brunt of injustice, the brunt of any oppression, like a loss of a child, loss of this, that, and the other, that's oppression. 
looping in the LGBTQ community as an oppressive force on human nature is bogus. And I believe that they are using that as an oppressive, just as if they were denoting that being poor or feeling injustice is just as oppressive. People need to know that we aren't the problem. We want to be a part of the solution. We are love for ourselves, but we also have a lot of love to give. These are the foundation and our values, what we believe in. We aren't what they're saying we are. Give us a chance. I feel chronically lonely because I feel when people wanted to lend a hand and being a friend, I'm wondering the reason why they don't want to be a personal friend of mine is because they are afraid that they may have second thoughts on their own sexuality or their own identity. I'm talking to the heterosexual cis people, and I want those privileges, but I can't do it alone. We want to be loved. We want to love. We want to be accepted. We are here to accept. That's what dignity is about, treating everyone with dignity. I think I want people to understand that we're people. We're just like anyone else. We get up in the morning. We make our coffee. We get our kids up. We get them to school. For the most part, our lives are pretty boring. My marriage is just as valid. We have values. We're just trying to raise some good humans. We want our kids to love everyone, to be kind, and to make this world a better place than it was when they were born. There are people who would tell us living here in Arkansas that, well, why don't you just move to a more accepting area of the country? Your lives would be a lot easier. But this is my home, and I'm going to fight the hate, and I'm going to spread the love. One of my favorite authors in the world is Henry Nouwen. He said, you know, when we talk about the hurt that we've experienced, adults and parents, nobody escapes being wounded. We're all wounded people, whether physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. The question is, what are you going to do with it? How can you take that woundedness into the service of others? And when our wounds cease to be a source of shame and become a source of healing, we have become wounded healers. And I want to encourage other LGBTQ plus people listening to this that have been hurt to take that hurt, heal that wound, nurture that scar and make it positive for the rest of the community. To those parents that are listening, if your child comes to you and tells you that they're gay or they're trans or they're bi or just whatever, listen to them, love them unconditionally. They're still your child and you made them. My seven-year-old says it best, and I'm going to leave it off with this. She says all the time and she loves to draw and color it. Love is love and I'm living for it. So it would be easy to give in to fear at this moment in time, at other moments. But tell me where you're finding hope. I'm finding hope in our church family. I'm finding hope in the community and the family we've built. We have chosen family. We have wonderful friends. I couldn't ask for better people. That's where my hope lies. That and in these kids. My youngest loves drag queens with all that she is. She greets every one of them with a hug. She loves people. You see the kids out there that help others, these youth groups, and you see the kids get together, all these LGBTQIA plus kids that have never been able to meet before, and they get together, and by the end of the night, they've got a group chat. There's my hope. I am amazed and privileged that I get to teach here in Arkansas. I am highly visible. I get to put a face on us in a highly sensitive area of the profession of teaching. For my colleagues and the 
children that I do teach, they show me with their actions and words that not only I am loved for being the teacher that I am, I'm one amazing and cool person. And I'm hoping that that's a positive projection on the entire transgender community. Being part of this amazing church community, that's just the icing of the cake. I think both of you need to keep being you (laughs) because what you're doing is good for the world. This conversation has reminded me that once upon a time, when I was first identifying my call to be a priest, I am a cisgendered heterosexual person, but I chose to follow God's call into a profession that traditionally was not for women. When I was young and just about to be married, someone asked my husband and I, how are you going to deal with the swap in gender roles in your marriage? And Stephen and I looked at each other real confused. We didn't know what we were being asked. We didn't understand it. We asked for clarification and the response was, well, Stephen wants to be a teacher and Mary, you want to be a priest. How are you going to deal with that swap in gender roles? (laughs) We were like, well, I'm going to do what God is calling me to do. And Stephen's going to do what God is calling him to do. (laughs) So we're going to be just fine. (laughs) And thanks to the many, many women who came before me, I have often felt like the best thing I could do was simply be myself and trust that would make enough of a difference. And back then, one scripture verse really gave me a lot of hope, and it brings light to this topic as well. Galatians 3.28, there's no longer Jew or Greek, there's no longer slave or free, there's no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And I think Paul is reminding us here that the divisions of sex and gender, among other differences, amount to very little in the kingdom of heaven. How we choose to embody the unity of Christ is much more important. And that is the work to which we are called. So to me, that means overcoming divisions, not by enforcing some kind of false uniformity, but by learning to love one another as we honor and celebrate our differences. And there's one more bit of scripture that I think is important to bring into this conversation, and that is Luke 10, 27. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And I want to remind our listeners that when Jesus said this, that was when he was asked the question, who is my neighbor? And Jesus responded with the parable of the Good Samaritan, teaching us that being a neighbor is about having compassion for one another even though we might be different, even though some of us are hurting, even though some of us are busy, we need to have compassion for one another and help, especially those who are hurting. So Aaron and Jamie, I want to thank you both for taking time to have this conversation with me. And I believe it will bring understanding and hope to our listeners. And thank you all for listening today. If you have questions or comments or suggestions, please send an email to me at mvano at stmargaretschurch.org. And please join us again next time because our J-O-Y is not complete without you. This is a production of St. Margaret's Episcopal Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. Thanks to Stephen Vano, who composed and performed our theme music, and to Heidi Soule, our producer. Music